Well, before emojis, anybody remember anything before emojis? Yeah, before, before emojis, uh, bumper stickers were popular. If there's any millennials in the room, uh, bumper stickers are, okay, anyway. Um, <laughs> But bumper stickers were popular long before emojis, and, and one of the uh, bumper stickers that, that really caught everybody's attention said, I don't get mad, I get even. even. See, you all saw that on Pastor Pam's car, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> you know, she said something to me in there earlier, I had to get her back. <laughs> Well, you know, as much as that uh, is, is a, an emoji or is a bumper sticker that we remember saying, I don't get mad, I get, I, I get even, um, that saying really hit at home with a young man. He grew up in an abusive home, um, and his stepfather was constantly railing all kinds of abuse on his life, his mom's life, and the rest of the family, verbal, physical, even some sexual abuse. And this young man vowed it in his mind that um, if he ever saw his stepfather again after he left the marriage, that uh, he would kill him. And uh, he grew up and, and went off and served in, in uh, the Vietnam War and came back and uh, began to establish his life and uh, forgotten all about his stepfather because while he was in Vietnam, he had come into the contact of, a, of, a, of a Navy chaplain and that chaplain had led this young man to Jesus Christ. So all the uh, hatred and all of the angst and everything that he had against his stepfather was let go. About um, six years after he came back from Vietnam, um, out of nowhere, his stepfather, who had been out of his life for many years, showed up on his doorstep. The man had actually looked up his stepson and had come to his house where, where this young man's wife and their daughter lived. And he describes the story as he says that, uh, my wife being the kind of person that she is, let my stepfather into the house. And we all sat in the living room and, and we had this very struggled conversation, he said. And as we began to converse back and forth, you could tell that, that something just wasn't right in the room. And he said, and all of a sudden, I thought I had just let it go. I thought I had just forgotten it. I blurted out the words to my stepfather that I swore to God that the next time I saw you, I was going to kill you. And today's the day. And so at that moment, his stepfather's eyes got very big, and, and he began to slink down into the sofa and began to break out in a sweat. And this young man looked at him, and he said, but, but I know today that I'm a better person because I know who God is. And I understand that God has chosen to forgive me, forgive me of all the sins of what makes me an individual. And because God has chosen to forgive me, I forgive you. He said, now, I don't want you to look at this as a sign of weakness in my life. It's actually a sign of great strength. And the reason I choose to forgive you today is because I've been forgiven. Now, we listen to a story like that, and we, we, we wonder. And, and for some of us, you know, we can relate really well to that story. Maybe, maybe it wasn't your life, but maybe it was a friend's life, or it was a, a situation that became real for you. This, uh, this young man discovered that the, that the key to forgiveness was to stop focusing on what others have done to you and instead start focusing on what Jesus Christ has done for you. If you grew up in the church, you, you've heard this before. And in the church, the church proclaims an everlasting message that we are, we are called to forgive. Since the early days of Sunday school and those old felt boards, uh, some of us can remember those. And today on smart boards and things that we see as we lead our kids, we teach those, those Christian terms. And, and we say to our kids, the Christian thing 
is to forgive. But the real world is not that simple because most of us, we think and we might want to forgive, but what really goes through our mind is, I really want to get even. And we want to somehow level the playing field. Part of us wants to forgive, but then part of us wants to hold on to it. Part of us wants retribution. Forgiving and forgetting made for a very nice Sunday school lesson, but for some of us is a life lesson. It's, it's very difficult, but yet it's very, it's very real. Forgiveness is not simply just forgive and forget. In fact, uh, too often we find ourselves rushing to what I call cheap grace. And if you've ever wondered, what is cheap grace? I've heard my pastor talk about that. Cheap grace is when you say to others and you say to yourself that you have forgiven a situation or you have forgiven a person, but yet it continues to gnaw at you. That when you see that person, when you continue to think about memories of that thing, it just keeps coming around and you can't. And the human mind, folks, is wired to where it doesn't forget things like that. It just kind of files them away. And for you and me, we just don't have the ability to hit the delete button to where we can just forget about the things that have come. As a pastor, I, I spend a, a good deal of my time listening to your stories. I've uh, spent time um, listening to your stories in your home. I've spent time listening to your stories in my office. Uh, some of us, uh, some of you I've shared or you have shared your story with me over breakfast, over coffees. And one thing I've come to notice is that we all have a story, don't we? We all have something um, wired within us that makes us who we are. But all of us in some way are expressions of brokenness in life. And as we think about those stories, and I, I truly can appreciate when, when you share with me those feelings of helplessness, because I too have found so many times in my life in so many situations where I have felt totally just helpless in what to do and not knowing what to do. I too have felt those, those rubs in life when, when being angry about things that aren't going the way that we had hoped or, or where we see someone that we love making a bad decision and it train wrecks their life. And, and I too have felt those same kinds of things as you. And yet, Yes, I even have people who have said and done things to me that, that, that were hurtful and were harmful, just as you've had folks do that to you. And we think about that. And the questions that go to our minds, especially when we come sit in a church and, and, we, and we read our scriptures and we say, but Jesus taught us about forgiveness, and all those things are rushing through our minds, questions come into our mind and they ask, why in the world should we give the gift of forgiveness to our offenders? Because they have offended us. And in many instances, the offender has taken something from the one who has been offended. It doesn't make sense. Because we feel like um, the people who have harmed us owe us something, don't we? We feel like that if you've harmed me, if I've harmed you, if you've harmed someone else, that the only way retribution, the only way reconciliation can come is if that person pays some kind of debt some person does something that remedies the situation that's happened. And think about some of the things that have happened. I don't know that some of those debts can be repaid. And that's the struggle, that's the rub, that's the place we find us, ourselves this morning in the teachings of Jesus Christ. Jesus says that there's, a, that there's a different viewpoint on forgiveness. Jesus leads us to that. He says when you offer forgiveness, you're not agreeing with the one who harmed you and that forgiveness does not translate into the words that you condone what the other has done to bring harm upon you. Jesus says when you offer forgiveness, it is not accepting the offenses as, as what the person has done. In fact, 
Jesus teaches us that, that forgiveness translates into something. He says that trans, it translates into a gift given by God to the one who offers it. So when you offer the gift of forgiveness, you are offering a gift of God, a gift of God to someone else. Forgiveness releases the offended person who's been enslaved, the person who's been imprisoned by the hurtful facts of, uh, acts of another, and gives them the freedom from their pain. And when you offer forgiveness, that freedom sets you just like that. It sets you free. It moves you beyond the person who has harmed you. But you say to yourself, but pastor, Bob, you don't know what they've done to me. You don't know how that person hurt me. You don't know the extent to what they did to bring harm unto me of the violations and the things that have come into my life. You don't really understand that. And for some of us, we come to the reality that maybe we just don't want to restore those relationships. Maybe some of us say, well, I've tried to. But when I approached the person, they just weren't appeased by my terms of reconciliation. You see, when I read the scriptures, there's one thing that I see, and that is that, that Jesus does not include an exception clause when it comes to reconciliation. He doesn't say that, that you're to reconcile for all these reasons, but here's three or four that you, cannot, you can hold off on that you don't. He said, we must move toward a sense of reconciliation. If there's a person who's an enemy, Jesus taught us where to what our enemies Love our enemies. If there's people who persecute us, Jesus says we're to pray for them. If, if we publicly are humiliated by someone, Jesus says don't retaliate by trying to humiliate them. If someone takes advantage of you, Jesus says give them even more than what they've asked you to give. Do you see the difference in the life of Jesus? The world preaches assert yourself, and Jesus teaches deny yourself. And that's where it collides. That's where humanity and divinity, that's where our humanness, and that's where the, the love of Christ, that's where it all collides in those differences of the things that we see. Jesus' concern was, was never that his disciples would be treated fairly. You never say or hear him saying in the scriptures, well, I, I want you all to be treated fairly when you go out there and, and make sure people treat you fairly. What he said was the opposite. He says, I want to make sure that as my disciples, that if you're being treated unfairly, that you're not retaliating with anything, but that you yourselves are treating others the way that I've treated you. Tough teachings. They spat at Jesus. They cussed at him or cursed at him. They threw things at him. They, they, they um, uh, said things that were untrue. And yet hanging upon the cross, he utters these words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. By praying for his enemies, Jesus teaches us what the fulfillment of God's word means. It teaches us the importance of what it means that we are to have forgiveness and to seek intercession for the enemies that we have. Here's a couple of truths about forgiveness this morning. The first one is that forgiveness is not a gift for others. 
It's not a gift for others. Forgiveness is not about rewarding somebody for what they've done wrong to you. Forgiveness is not about letting someone off the hook and think, saying that, that what they did, it was okay. Forgiveness is actually a gift given to those who offer it. So, so the one who offers forgiveness is the one who receives the blessing from God. That when, when we offer that gift, the one who's offended offers that gift of forgiveness to someone else. God intervenes in that situation and God begins to bless the person who forgives. And God begins to help that person understand a different perspective for life, a life that has been transformed in a powerful way. Forgiveness is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. It heals the conflicts between us. It heals the conflicts within us. It, it heals the conflicts between God and God's people. It heals the conflicts of all those things. Forgiveness removes bitterness, and bitterness is that, that cancer that burns and, and blocks within inside of us. Bitterness is the infection, the cancer that corrupts us. Bitterness is what destroys people in relationships. Bitterness is what makes us implode, and failure to forgive is is the main obstacle why we become bitter. Because when we won't forgive a situation that's happened, to let it go out of our life, it continues to just eat at us. But God says we're not to be bitter. God says that we're not to be cancerous. God says that, that we're to be something greater than that, and we can be through forgiveness. One day Jesus was um, talking about the complexities of life and, and he begins to talk about relationships. And wouldn't you agree that, that relationships are probably the most difficult thing we deal with in life? You ever met somebody who's a couple fries short of a happy meal? Yeah? Somebody whose elevator doesn't go to the top floor, you know? Uh. But Jesus was sharing, he said, when two people get together, he says there's conflict. Now, now, conflict is one of those things, and we've, I've preached on this, and Pastor Pan's preached on this. We've talked to you about conflict. Conflict is not something to be avoided. We have conflict all the time in our life, and great things come out of conflict. In fact, in conflict, we learn how to stretch each other. In conflict, we, we learn the boundaries of, of what it means to be in relationship together. In conflict, we learn to grow. So conflict isn't something that's always bad, and yet we always or we desire to place conflict in a situation where conflict means that there's some sort of deepened hurt between two people. And Peter was listening very close to this conversation as Jesus was talking about conflict in these relationships. And all of a sudden, as Peter's listening to this, kind of half listening to Jesus, but then kind of you know, making it about himself and thinking about, oh, I got that one person uh, that keeps wronging me and uh, keeps, you know, like using my nets when I tell him not to or, or he uses my nets and the fish tear it and he doesn't, you know, put them back together and I get those bad nets back. Whatever the problem was, Peter is thinking about this person that just will not, that just gets under his skin. Do you know anybody like that? Somebody just gets under your skin. And Peter is, is thinking about this. And Peter says that I understand the responsibility to forgive, but, but it was personal this time. And whereas everybody else needed to forgive, it was personal for Peter. And he wasn't sure how far to take this. I mean, how far was he to forgive this person, so to speak? And he says these words to Jesus. Master, how many times do I forgive a brother or sister who hurts me? Now it's interesting because Peter knows the answer to the question. He's been walking with Jesus for some time now. In fact, it's getting close to cross time. But he asks the question, how many times am I supposed to forgive a brother or sister who hurts me? And Jesus says, seven, hardly, 
Try 70 times seven. In other words, try some number that, that mathematically just doesn't compute. Try some number that, that just blows your mind and boggles your mind. It's just all the time, Peter, all the time you need to forgive someone. In other words, when have I done it enough times, Peter's asking Jesus, that I don't have to worry about doing it anymore to that person who keeps getting under my skin? Peter wants to do the right thing. But like you and me, he kind of wants to know what his limits are. Do I really have to go that far to do this? And, and where there is true justice in a system that forgiveness um, is repayable to someone over and over and over again. I mean, someone who continuously does something wrong to you. What's that saying? For the first time, shame on you. Do it twice to me. What, shame on me? But asking how often shall I forgive, repeat Peter revealed that he misunderstands what the word forgiveness is. Like us, Peter assumed that if I forgive, then that means I'm letting them off the hook and it means that I'm telling them what they did is right and I was wrong and I should have never gotten mad at them. And like many well-meaning Christians, Peter was willing to stretch. He was willing to be a nice guy. He was willing to kind of move into some different directions. He was willing to go a couple of rounds with somebody that he needed to forgive. But Jesus says, Peter, just as the Father has forgiven you totally, continuously, daily, momentarily, secondly, all of those things, just as the Father has done that for you, Peter, you need to do that for them as well. Jesus says, I don't say to you up to seven times, but up to 77 times. And before Peter could even respond to this, Jesus does what he does best. He breaks into a parable. He says, the kingdom of God is like a king who decided to square accounts with his servants. And as he got underway, one servant was brought before him who had run up a debt of $100,000. He couldn't pay it up, so the king ordered the man along with his wife, children, and goods to be auctioned off to the slave market. The poor wretch threw himself at the king's feet, and he begged, give me a chance and I'll pay it all back. And touched by his plea, the king let him off and erased all of the man's debts. The servant was no sooner out of the room where he came upon his fellow servants who owed him $10. He seized his servant by the throat and he demanded, pay up now. And the wretch threw himself down and begged, give me a chance and I'll pay it all back. But he wouldn't do it. He had, he had him arrested and put him in jail until his debt was paid. And then the other servants saw what was going on. They were outraged and they brought a detailed report to the king. The king summoned the man and he said, you evil servant, I forgave your entire debt when you begged me for mercy. Shouldn't you have been uh, compelled to be merciful to your fellow servant who asked for mercy? And the king was furious, and he, and he put the screws to the man until he paid back his entire debt. And that's exactly what my Father in heaven is going to do to each one of you who doesn't forgive, Jesus said, unconditionally, anyone who asks for mercy. So imagine how Peter is acting or reacting as he's listening to this story. I mean, you know, here Jesus goes into this parable about this king and, and about this servant and how the king demonstrates mercy, but yet the servant who has been forgiven doesn't show forgiveness to, to someone else who has wronged him. And, and it's very clear that, that God is the king in this story, and Peter, Peter is the unmerciful servant. 
And Peter begins to take all of this in. Peter had been forgiven a great deal, but he was demanding payment from someone else, from the offender. Jesus says in this parable, a very stern warning, he says, my heavenly father also will do to each of you from his heart who does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Paraphrase, God, if you don't forgive, God is coming after you. That's a paraphrase of what Jesus says in this parable. At some point, uh, Peter probably was like, man, I should never ask that question. (laughs) Ha, Jesus, why did you do that to me? I mean, you ever asked a question and someone gives you an answer, you're like, oh, gee, why did I ask that? And that was the uncomfortable feeling in the room. You know, and, and for, for some, I mean, how, how tough is that to tell someone who's a victim that if you don't forgive, God's coming after you? And that's so difficult, and, it's, and, it's, and it's, it's hard. In fact, victims would say, wait a minute, you know, I've already been harmed once, and now you're telling me that if I don't forgive the one who's harmed me, that God's going to come after me, so now I have two enemies that I have to deal with? You know, sometimes I, I ask the question, God... What is it I'm supposed to say to somebody after that? Because, you know, I would want them to offer forgiveness, but then you throw this parable in the scriptures that, that says what happens when we don't forgive. I mean, what am I supposed to say now to them? The collision point is that our Heavenly Father demands total forgiveness. God even goes so far as to, to threaten us. And what I mean by that is, remember when your kids and your parents loved you so much that they raised their voice when you did something wrong? Maybe mine were the only parents who did that. <laughs> you know, I can remember there are times when my grandchildren, I, I love Daniel and, and I love them all, and, and Daniel, Daniel's the one that likes to run off, and uh, you know, I love him so much, I don't want him running out in the street, because what happens in the street? Cars are in streets. So I raise my voice, Daniel, don't go on the street, come back! And he does. So maybe that's what God's doing here for us. God is not saying he doesn't love us, but maybe God is raising the bar to get our attention, to snap us out of the foolishness that we're in, to call us back so that we don't choose to self-destruct because when we won't forgive the offender, it creates bitterness in us. And bitterness is not something that's good. God has the right, folks. God has the right to command you and me to forgive. Not too long after Jesus told this parable, he he mushes on to Jerusalem and he gets hung on a cross. And it's there that, that Jesus chose to die, not only for the sins of those who were there, but Jesus chose to die for your sins and my sins, which means that at the time of the death, that before you and I were born, God chose to pay the price. God chose to forgive you of your sins. God chose to forgive me of my sins before we were even here. God chose to forgive us. God chose to choose us today to forgive you of the sin of when you fall asleep as you're talking to him. God chooses to forgive you today of the sin when, when, um, when, you, when you won't keep the promises that you continue to break. God chooses to forgive you of the sin today of, of the things that you swear to God that you'll commit to. God forgives you today of the sins of where you say and you try to cut the deal, God, if you'll just give this to me, if you'll just let it work out this way, God, if you'll just get me out of this problem, I'll do this for you. The bargaining with God 
God knows. God knows all those things, and God chooses, despite how you've offended him, how I've offended him, God chooses to forgive us. And that's what Jesus means. If anyone had the right to hold a grudge, it's God. But Jesus says that God releases, God forgives. God moves us beyond our sins. We're a forgiven people, folks, and we can't forgive, forget that. We are a people who have been forgiven. And because we've been forgiven, we are called to forgive others. How can we withhold from others a gift that is so graciously given to each one of us? that gift of forgiveness. To do that, to hold that gift back, is the height of ingratitude, the very emotion that, that we um, dealt with in the, in the story that we read about, the ungrateful servant. We don't want to be the ungrateful servant, the unforgiving servant. So what are some steps to making forgiveness real? If you've been hurt, Something that um, has been taken from you. When someone offends you, they've taken something from you. Something that is just, something has been taken. So to forgive, we've got to identify exactly what it is that has been taken. It can't be generalities, but we have to identify exactly what has been taken from us. What is it that specifically has been withheld from you? When we don't identify what's been taken, then we, we go through the, the motions of forgiveness, but we experience no release. This is where each of us catch ourselves saying, but I've forgiven them for that, but yet um, it still busts us up inside. So we've got, to, we've got to identify what is it that the offender has taken from us. Jesus said in the, uh, the parable that forgiveness revolves around canceling debts. And he, he brings us to a conclusion that, that debt cancellation is really at the heart of forgiveness. And that we can't completely forgive a debt if, we're, if, if that debt hasn't been thoroughly identified. If we can't identify what the debt is, we can't forgive it. So we have to learn how to forgive, for, un, learn how to identify what it is that has happened to us and to be able to name it. The second piece is we have to learn how to drop the charges. When you know what's been done to you, when you know how you've been wrong, when you know what's been taken away from you, you've got to come to the place where you totally believe that the person who has harmed you no longer owes you anything. Just as Jesus canceled our sin at debt, of debt on Calvary, we have to cancel the sin of debt of the person who has incurred one against us. It's, it's letting go and confessing to God that so-and-so has done this to me, God, and, and it has grieved my heart, and this is a specific action that they've taken, and I've hold, held on to it long enough, God, and today I choose now to cancel the debt. He or she doesn't owe me anymore. There's nothing for them to pay. The debt has been canceled, and it's time to let go. And this is what Peter discovers in this dialogue with Jesus. He discovers that forgiveness isn't a feeling. Forgiveness is a decision. And that leads us to the final step of forgiveness, and that is that, that now we have to dismiss the case. It's a daily decision to resist that temptation to continue to resurrect what someone has done to you. 
You have to resist that temptation. You can't keep opening up the case. Forgiveness doesn't erase the memory as much as we would love to, to think that when I forgive someone, the memory of what they've done to me will be gone. Folks, it's never gone. It's always there. It becomes part of our story. And out of that story, we learn about how God has blessed us in the midst of the greatest trial, in the midst of the greatest pains, how God has rescued us, how God has brought us through it, how God has placed us into something new. Those memories never leave. They are there. But yet we can learn how to move beyond those memories. We can learn how not to allow those memories to keep us shackled to our past. Instead, what happens is that sometimes we fall into that temptation of wanting to reopen the case. Well, let me go back and cross-examine them one more time. Let me get two more pieces of proof of what it was that they did. Even though I forgave them, there's still something that is undone that I need to do. You see, here's what the deceiver does. The deceiver tries to convince us that we aren't really forgiven. That all that stuff about Jesus on the cross, the deceiver says, all of that's a sham. You haven't been forgiven, so you don't need to forgive someone else. And you and I have got to be strong. We cannot allow the deceiver to win that battle of our mind. We are forgiven. We are free. In the name of Jesus Christ, we have been set free. Amen? Amen to that. So memories are, are simply memories. They present an opportunity to renew our mind. And when our mind is renewed, that power of God can begin to transform us into something new. Many years ago, I was um, speaking to a church, one of my churches, on a Sunday morning, just like this, about forgiveness. About halfway through the message, I was um, talking about forgiveness. I was talking about just what I've shared with you in some ways about how we need to um, find ways to forgive and, and how forgiveness isn't uh, condoning what someone has done to us, but forgiveness actually is setting us free, that we're no longer held prisoner with that. And as I was going through that and sharing with that, I looked down into the congregation and I heard some uh, weeping going on. And it was a woman who was sitting um, probably on the left-hand side of where I was standing, and she was a couple of rows back uh, from the front. And the longer I talked, the, the more she cried, and I could tell that, that something about this message about forgiveness was really touching her. Something was really heart-wrenching, that it was either bringing up memories that had been suppressed or something was happening, and I wasn't really sure what it was. So, so after church, um, I came back out of, um, out of the side room and had gathered my things, and she was still sitting there. The room had emptied out, but there she was, still sitting in her seat, and she was still crying. So I went down, and I sat next to her, and I whispered to her, I said, are those happy tears or are they sad tears? And she said, they're actually happy tears. And um, so between sobs, she began to tell me her story. And, and, and uh, she said that, that she had been divorced about 10 years earlier, and um, it was a horrible divorce. And, and as she had gone through that divorce, she had sought out some therapy from a, from a therapist, and she had hooked up and connected with a therapist. And about eight or nine sessions into that, into that therapy session with that individual, that he, he raped her. And... Um, and she was um, horrified by what happened, obviously. And uh, she had brought charges against him and had gone to trial and the jury had uh, said he was innocent and he could be set free and so he was set free. And, and she said, but what really made the situation even more horrific was I became pregnant because of the rape. 
And so she reached over and grabbed her phone and she clicked on and went to a couple of pictures and she showed me this picture of her little boy. Um, he was about six years old at, at, at this time. And, uh, and she said, you know, she said, I have, I have enough evidence right now to put that man in jail. And all of my friends who talk to me about this situation, they're trying to convince me to go ahead and, and do the right thing and just let him have it and put him in jail and just, and just say goodbye to him of all these things. But she said, you know, after hearing this message today, I realize that my resentment has controlled my life. The bitterness that has stayed inside of me has made me withdraw from other people. I have no friends now because I just, I don't want to be near anybody. I've just withdrawn. I no longer can live my life um, in a way because I, I, I believe that I was dirty and that what other man would ever want a woman who'd been raped and, and had a child of a man who had raped her. And she said, but I came to church today and I learned the definition of forgiveness. And today, I've forgiven him. He can never repay me for anything that he's done to me. But by the healing of Jesus Christ, I can be set free from this action of what I have felt that came out of this. You know, when she told me today, I feel like a new woman, Pastor. I feel like a woman who's got a new lease on life. We just kind of sat there and hugged each other and cried. And I thought about forgiveness. You see, if you, if you allow them to, past hurts can put you on a path to a life of destruction. If you allow them to, past hurts can convince you that you can never move beyond the offense that someone has brought into your life. But if you have a renewing of your mind, you can come to the conclusion that with God's help, that destructive behavior can no longer hold you captive in your life. That forgiveness is an avenue that brings the most um, significant expressions of character. It paves the way for you to learn how to love your enemies. It paves the way for you to learn how to love those who have persecuted you. You see, here's the truth. Our faith doesn't thrive because the guilty who have harmed us are punished but our faith thrives because we who are in Christ, the innocent, are merciful beyond measure. Let your need to be forgiven happen today. Let your need to move on into a new life become a reality for you. Peter learned a great lesson that day, and I hope you and I do today too.